pastor. So um, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I would like you to turn to the book of Hebrews. I don't know if there's anybody new here this morning, but we've been going through the book of Hebrews now for how long has it been? Uh, Five or six weeks now. And um, we've been going through the book of Hebrews for about eight months and still have a good portion left to go. It's been great. I've enjoyed it. Gotten a lot out of it personally, and I hope you have too. But we're going to be in a very, very short three verses in uh, Hebrews and a very, very lots of verses in Genesis. So put your finger in Genesis, chapters 20 through 50. We'll be there intermittently. And also in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 through 22. And I'm going to read those verses our primary verses this morning here, this morning. Hebrews eleven twenty through 22. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Father God, these three great men of faith um, can give us an example this morning that we can take out of here and apply to our lives today. And it's my prayer, Lord, that um, our uh, spiritual lives would um, grow today in the next 45 minutes and on through this day and through this week and through the rest of our lives just by looking at these three men. They are grouped together for a reason. Help us to, uh, to hear from you as we go through their lives in the Old Testament and, um, and then here in Hebrews. We want, Lord God, we're hungry for more of you and for more of what you want for us. Help us to get that this morning for your glory and our blessing. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about what the origins of certain expressions are. You know, you hear an expression and you go, I wonder where that came from. Some English expressions are so unusual that it's impossible to guess where on earth they originated from unless you dig back into their history. And I want to go to some origins of some of the most interesting sayings that, that sometimes we use in society today. Maybe not as much as we used to, but they're still used and uh, they have a history. Uh, maybe you've ever, maybe you've heard about, uh, the, heard the saying, bite the bullet. You ever hear that? Gonna have to bite the bullet? You know where that came from? I'll, well, the meaning means to accept, the, to accept something very difficult or unpleasant, to bite the bullet. The origin is in the olden days when doctors were short on anesthesia, whether in time of war or peace, and if they had a bullet, they would give that bullet to the person to bite on so uh, they could deal with the pain. Some of you probably know that's, that, that background. Um, this is an interesting one. Do you ever hear the phrase, uh, butter somebody up? This is interesting. The meaning is to impress someone with flattery. The origin was a customary religious act in ancient India. The devout would throw butter balls at the statues of their gods to seek favor and forgiveness. I couldn't help but think as Dylan was leading us in these deep songs about Christ's forgiveness that his sacrifice was a lot more than a butterball, wasn't it? I mean, wow. Cat got your tongue. This might ruin your appetite for the rest of the day, but I'll 
The meaning is to, is asked to a person who is at a loss for words. Cat got your tongue? Let me tell you where it came from. Two areas. The English Navy used a whip called cat of nine tails for flogging. The pain was so severe that it caused the victim to stay quiet for a long time. Another one, I shouldn't share this, but a possible source comes from ancient Egypt where the liars and blasphemers' tongues were cut out and fed to the cats. Cat got your tongue? Yeah, you got my tongue? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, wow, what else? Oh, because it's Thanksgiving, bury the hatchet. I'm going to bury the hatchet. Maybe you've heard that. The meaning is to stop a conflict and to make peace. This one dates back to the early times in North America when the Puritans were in conflict with Native Americans. And when negotiating peace, the Native Americans would bury all their hatchets, knives, clubs, and tomahawks. Weapons literally were buried and made inaccessible. Yeah, bury the hatchet. Oh, I gotta share this one. I think this is really good before I get to the point here. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. How many people have ever heard that? All right, you know where that came from? This is honest, this is interesting. In the early 1500s, people only bathed once a year. Yeah. Kids are going, yes, I don't have to, one time a year. Not only that, but they also bathed in the same water without changing it. The adult males would bathe first, then the females, leaving the children and babies to go last. By the time the babies got in, the water was clouded with filth, and the poor mothers had to take extra care that their babies were not thrown out with the uh, bath water. One more. <laughs> I could do this the whole sermon. <laughs> Do you ever hear about hear the phrase rub somebody the wrong way? Man, they rub me the wrong way. You're thinking about that well, about me right now, aren't you? He just rubs me the wrong way. It means to bother or annoy someone. Early Americans during the colonial times would ask their servants to rub their oak floorboards the right way with a dry cloth and not a wet cloth, because if they rubbed them with a wet cloth, it would cause streaks to form and ruin their floors, leaving the homeowner very angry. So don't rub my floors the wrong, don't rub me the wrong way. Well, the one that I want to apply today to uh, the message is they died with their boots on. You ever hear that? They died with their boots on. The definition is to die with your boots on means you died while being active. You were an active person. You were fighting. You were working. You were persevering. That's what it means today to die with me. You know, they died with their boots on. Now, the origin of that phrase is more difficult to find, but most sources point to the, the American Old West as the source. The American West is often depicted with many cowboys walking around in boots. They frequently engaged in gunfights or died by hanging. Apparently, the expression initially referred to cowboys who died while in a gunfight or who were hung for some crime. The modern context, however, indicates that someone had, when they died with their boots on, they died doing something they loved. They were active until the very end of their life. They died with their boots, the, to die with your boots on means to keep working hard until the end. Well, today we're gonna examine the lives of three people mentioned together in the great chapter of faith, Hebrews 11, God's faith's hall of fame, God's hall of faith we've been calling it. And I would describe these people, these three guys, as people who died with their faith boots on. 
They died with their faith boots on. They were faithful, active, working, loving the Lord from beginning all the way to the last breath that they took. And guys, that's the example that they're gonna set for us today. To be trusting God and to be faithful to God and his promises today, tomorrow, next month, next year, and all the way till we draw our last breath. They died with their faith boots on and we need to die with our faith boots on. So many don't do that. The attrition rate in the body of Christ is depressing. And God's saying to these three men, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, I want you to die with your faith boots on. I want you to trust me for my promises in this life and all the way to the end of your life and all the way into eternity, okay? There might not be a more important question in our lives right now as believers in Jesus Christ than this one. Will I die with my faith boots on? Will I die in faith when it comes to God's promises regardless of my circumstances or his timing? And I emphasize that, regardless of my circumstances or his timing, because none of us know what circumstances that we're gonna experience in the future, do we? And none of us knows God's timing as to how he's going to answer our prayers. But will we die with our faith boots on? Okay, will we die with our faith boots on. These people are examples to us of people who died with their faith boots on, and I think that's God's message to us today. To constantly live by faith in the promises of God that we find in his word or through, directly through the Holy Spirit for today, for tomorrow, until the time of our death. So the title of the message today is Living and Dying in Faith living and dying in faith. And so I want us to go here, and we're gonna read Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and we are gonna go to a ton of Old Testament scriptures because we can't do anything else when talking about these guys. And so keep your fingers in Genesis and Hebrews because we're gonna go back and forth. Chapter 11, verses 20 through 22. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned upon on the staff, on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Is that what you're gonna do when you're on your deathbed and tell your kids what to do with your bones? I doubt it. But this has some significance here. Let's ask four questions this morning and take away something I hope will be meaningful to us as we walk out of this place and into our worlds. First question is, who are the people who lived and died in faith? Who are these people who lived and died in faith regarding God's promises in the present and in the future? Well, they were called the patriarchs, and it's the patriarchs are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. We talked about Abraham last week. If you didn't hear that, it's online, and uh, uh, I invite you to listen to, about Abraham, but today it's Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. First of all, we have Isaac. Isaac was Abraham's son, and we've just read about him in, in Hebrews eleven twenty. and I want us to go back to Genesis 21 and Genesis 
25 to learn a little bit more about Isaac's son. We're going to do a lot of reading in the Old Testament. Okay. Genesis 21 and verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave him the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And then we go to chapter 25. Chapter 25 in verses 19 through 21. 25, 19 through 21. This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Paddan. And Isaac, Paddan, Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. And that's all we're going to read. There's a lot more, but that is... Isaac, okay, Abraham's son. Then we come to Jacob. We come to Jacob. And we read in Hebrews 11 that by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned upon his staff. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. All three of these guys. But here we have Jacob. This is Isaac's son and Abraham's grandson. And we find a little bit more about Jacob in Genesis chapter 25. So we go back there and we look at verses 21. Okay, oh, well, let's go to 22. Okay, Sarah is pregnant, okay? Or Rebecca, rather, is pregnant. And in verse 22, it says, the baby's jostled within her, and she said, what is, why is this happening to me? And so she went in to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, the two nations are in your womb. And she said to the Lord, it feels like two big nations are in my, no, she didn't say that. <laughs> two nations are in your womb. Those women here have been pregnant can relate to that. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. And so they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. And the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was quiet, a quiet man, staying among the tents. And Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. Well, yeah, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. That is Jacob, uh, Abraham's grandson. And now we come to... Abraham's great-grandson, who is Joseph, we read this interesting statement in Hebrews 11 to by faith. So by faith, by faith, by faith. Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. And then we go up to a very few verses. Uh, you read about Joseph from Genesis 37 to 50, but we're only gonna look at three verses. And that's in chapter 37, okay? Genesis 37 and one through three because we really don't have time to read the whole story, sir, but we have to get the background here. Genesis 37 and one through three about Joseph. And Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. 
And this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Not a good idea, okay? Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. You can just smell the trouble coming, can't you? All right. This is who these people are. All right, this is who these people are. These are the patriarchs. These are the people who lived in faith and they died in faith. And I'm just kind of giving away my punchline here that's coming here in a few minutes, but this is how God wants us to be, just like these three, like Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, who lived in faith and died in faith. These were the patriarchs. These are the people that are stars of their show this morning. Now let's go to the promise that these three lived and died in faith for, the promise that God gave them. Okay, the promise to believe by faith here is the same for all three. All three of these guys, regardless of the time differential, was given the same promise by God as an example for us. And here it is. The promise to be believed by faith here is the same, as I said, for all three men, and that's this. To possess the land of promise of Canaan and to create through them a great nation. That was God's promise to them. I'm gonna promise you that you're gonna possess the land of promise, the land of Canaan, and I'm going to create through you a great nation. And he gives it to all three of them. Now go back to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis 26. And we see Isaac given this great promise. Genesis 26 verses one through four. Now there was a famine in the land beside the earlier famine of Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. He gives the promise to Isaac. Okay, now later, and we're not even gonna go there because it's such a long chapter because I'm gonna summarize it for you. Later in Genesis chapter 27, Isaac is an old man now and he's weak and he can't see very well. And Rebecca schemes to get her favorite son Isaac the blessing of the firstborn inheritance away from Jacob's favorite, the oldest son, Esau, okay? And by the way, it's not a good idea if you're a parent here this morning to play favorites with your kids. Doesn't work out very well as we see from scripture, okay? Treat them all the same, as best as you can. Anyway, while Esau is out hunting, Jacob, at the direction of his scheming mother, Rebekah, dresses up like his brother Esau. Some of you know the story. And after this happens, we see Esau return from the hunting trip and grieving over losing the blessing, even though he gave it away earlier to Jacob for a bowl of stew. It's a soap opera, isn't it? I mean, you could call it the bold and the Bedouins, you know, I mean, if you wanted to. How about uh, the days of our camels? 
or The Young and the Nomads. I mean, you could, this is a soap opera. I spend a lot of time making these up. I could, would appreciate a bigger laugh, okay, when I do that. Here's the point, though. The point is, we're told that Isaac pronounced a blessing on both sons to do with the things to come. And Jacob, receiving the greater blessing of first inheritance rights and eventual possession of the promised land, in verses 28 and 29, and Esau to live by the sword and to serve Jacob, but eventually throwing off Jacob's yoke. And what we're told here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20, is that Isaac pronounced a blessing on both sons to do with the things to come, and he did it in faith. God told him to have faith, and he gave the blessing in faith. It was done in faith in God who had revealed these things to him. Isaac believed fully that God would accomplish all that was here prophesied. And Isaac's act of faith was total belief that whatever God says and promises is true regardless of the circumstances. You say, maybe you're asking a question, how was that an act of faith when Isaac didn't know what he was doing and that Esau didn't get the patriarchal blessing, but Jacob did? Believe it or not, that's not even the point here. The point here is that Isaac believed in faith that God was going to carry on his line of inheritance and possess the land and create a great nation. And Isaac had done his part and trusted God to do the rest according to his sovereign direction. The truth is that God had earlier told Rebekah and probably through Rebekah to Isaac that the elder Esau would serve the younger, Genesis 25, 23, And Isaac took God at his word and responded in faith. That's what I want you to hear right now. Isaac took God at his word and responded in faith. Now what about Jacob? Well, we have Jacob back here in Hebrews 11, 22. 21, rather. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned upon his staff. Now, although Jacob had a lot of faults, and he did have a lot of faults, Um, He followed his own agenda at times. He fulfilled his own desires. He looked after his own welfare more than the welfare of others, even his wife. He looked after his own comfort and prosperity. He tried to bargain with God. He made poor choices. He was a schemer. But one thing that uh, Jacob did right, he did one thing right. He trusted God in faith throughout his life to fulfill his promises. If he didn't do anything else right, he trusted God to fulfill his promises that after his death, the land of Canaan would be possessed and a great nation would come through his loins, so to speak. Now, we're not going to go there, but it says there that in verses 48, or chapter 48, verses 1 through 20, as he blessed Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. He blessed them in trusting that God would create a great nation through him and possess the land. And then we come to Joseph. Okay, same thing for each of these guys. They trusted God at his word and they responded in faith. Okay, Jacob did, Isaac did, Jacob did, and now we have Joseph here back in 1122. 
By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Okay, eventually, by making mention of his bones, Joseph was reminding his brothers of God's promise to give his father and through his father to him in the land of promise. Genesis chapter 50, the very end of the book of Genesis. Joseph says to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110 and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Okay, done the Old Testament background. We've looked at Isaac, we've looked at Jacob, we've looked at Joseph, we've seen the common act of faith that they had, that God was gonna be true to his promise to give them the land of Canaan, the land of promise, and birth a great nation, more than the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea, called the Israelites. Now, let's bring it down to you and me. What, as Christians, can we learn here? What can we take out of the worship area here today? And here it is. This is where we come to now. And it's this. Every single promise of God, including those having to do with this life and the promise of life to come in heaven with Jesus, can and should be claimed by the Christian by faith. That's the lesson. These three spiritual studs, these three guys who ended their life with their spiritual or faith boots on teach us that God's promises should be trusted because he will come through for us. They're true. They'll come through for us just like they did for Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. So when we ask Christians, when we ask questions like, will he come through for me in my situation? The promises of God say, yes, he will. Or we may ask, will he guide me through my situation? The promises of God say, yes. And we can ask, will he strengthen me through this situation that I'm in? The promises of God say, yes. Will he work on my behalf? The promises of God say yes. Will he provide for me in my situation? The promises of God say yes. Will he take me to heaven? If we've trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, the promises of God say yes. Like Isaac, like Jacob, like Joseph, we don't have to know how or all the details ahead of time, but just trust him in faith and his promises by faith, and he will be faithful to work on our behalf. Is that your situation today? Are you like Isaac, Jacob, or Joseph where you don't see it yet, but God's promised it? The word tells us, wait for it in faith and in trust and God will come through for you sooner 
or what? Later. I just ask you, is that your situation today? Because our examples of this principle are Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. Believing the faith that God is true to his promises regardless of our circumstances. God, hear this. Let me repeat it. Believing in faith that God is true to his promises regardless of our circumstances individually or as a church. You heard me as a church as Dave came up and prayed this morning. We are seeking a new pastor. Is he faithful to fulfill that promise? Of course he is. What's our job? Faith, trust, doing our, the work that we need to do, but faith and trust. What about personally? As I mentioned, those areas of guidance and wisdom and strength and our needs, faith and trust. Let me read it again. Our examples are Isaac and Jacob and Esau, believing in, er, Jacob and Joseph, believing in faith that God is true to his promises regardless of our circumstances, individually or as a church for this life and for the life to come. And the verse that we ought to think about or go to when we're talking about this, and I didn't have it for the screen, but you can hear it or turn to it. Second Corinthians 5, 7, it says, we must walk by faith and not by sight. We need to walk or live by faith until it's fulfillment and not by sight because God's promised it. And boy, did he give them the promised land. And boy, did he make a great nation. And that brings us to a third question, and that's this. Um, what could have prevented them and us from living and dying in faith? What prevents, brothers and sisters, us from living and dying with our faith boots on? Because you know what? There are Christians who don't live and die with their faith boots on. They step on a landmine. And I want to share with you three faiths landmines that keep us from living and dying in faith. Number one, disillusionment because of time delay. Disillusionment because of time delay. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, think about it. None of them got their answer right away. None of them got their answer in the time they wanted to. In fact, it was hundreds of years later before the answer came. And yet they continued to trust God for his promises when they weren't answered right away. How many people pray to God and the answer, for the most part, comes right away? Not really very many of us. Okay. And yet they continue to trust him. Okay. And the answer, the question is, will we? You, right now, you're seeking something from the Lord. You're convinced it's coming out, it's in his word or the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, but God has not acted yet. Will you give up or will you keep going? Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. Wait. We hate to wait, but we need to wait. A second landmine that keeps us from living and dying with our faith boots on, that they faced too was bitterness because of being mistreated. 
I think bitterness is, and resentment is one of the biggest landmines we can step on that, that blows apart our ability to live our Christian lives and die with our faith boots on. And you know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about Joseph. Think of a guy that could have been bitter. He was betrayed by his family, by his brothers, close family. He suffered false, he was falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife, and then thrown into prison unjustly, and then forgotten there for I don't know how long. How easy it would have been to get bitter for Joseph, bitter at others, bitter at God, but he didn't. He forgave and he trusted in God's sovereignty, that God had a, a plan. You want to break the power of bitterness in your life? Two things, forgiveness by name and by offense and the sovereignty of God that he has a plan for it. But bitterness and unforgiveness destroys our faith. It does. It gets us to focus on ourselves or on other people and then we can't keep our faith boots on and live like these guys. And then there's a third one here that I want to talk about briefly. A third, what do I call them, landmines. Things that prevent us from living and dying with our faith boots on. I can't wait to get to my last point, but I gotta do this. And that is, not the bad, but the good. Okay? Not, not time delays, and not mistreatment and bitterness, but all the good stuff can keep us from living with our faith boots on. You think about where Joseph ended up in Egypt after he, it was discovered what a, what a great guy he was. Um, he had all the material things and accomplishments and comfort and talent and popularity that a person could ever have because he got promoted in the land of Egypt. And that could have, that could have taken Joseph right out of God's plan to live and die by faith in God's promises because he did so well. Joseph went from prison to the palace in Egypt into a high position, second in command of Egypt. He went from being destitute in a prison to becoming the winner of Egypt's $100 million Powerball lottery. <laughs> but did it ruin him? No, thank goodness. You know, do you, have you ever read about, I think I've shared this before, about what happens to lottery winners? I call them lottery losers because they won a lot of money but they lost their sanity, they lost their family, they lost all of their money. They couldn't handle it. They went to ruin the vast majority of, of, of lottery winners. Okay? And that's, that's, jo that's Joseph. He won the lottery but he kept his faith boots on. He never took his eyes off of God's great promises in spite of materialism, accomplishments, comfort, talent, popularity. He said, carry my bones, I'm going in. Let me uh, quote Chuck Swindoll. He, he always knows how to talk. He talks so good. Joseph arrived in Egypt as a slave when he was 17 years old and he became entrenched in the Egyptian lifestyle amid all the influences and authority that granted him in time. And he became second in command in all of Egypt at 30, from 17 to 30. He never forgot his roots, though. Faith in God was deeply entrenched in Joseph's heart, and he displayed it as he responded to his brothers who mistreated him. He not only reiterated the promise of God that the Lord would take care of him 
and bring them from Egypt to the land promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But by faith, Joseph could also foresee the events of the future. He knew that for the promise to be fulfilled, an exodus would eventually have to transpire. And although Joseph was an Egyptian without, he was a Hebrew within. And he did not want to be lost among the politics of the Egyptians and the prosperity of the Egyptians. He commanded that he be remembered and that his bones return to their rightful place of rest. Joseph's faith held no compromise. And that's awesome. And so we gotta be careful about what can keep us from live, uh, living and dying in faith. Time delays. We don't get what we want right when we want it. Resolution when we want it. Okay, mistreatment by other people causing us to be bitter or resentment. That'll keep us from living and dying in faith in God's promises. And then being materialist, having material things and accomplishments, comfort, talent, popularity, all the good stuff in life can keep us from living and dying in faith in God's promises. And I want to answer this last question here as kind of an incentive to do what Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph did. Because Hebrews 11 is all about faith. It's trusting God to do what he says he'll do all through our lives. Every promise of provision, guidance, direction, wisdom, strength. He says, I'll be true to fulfill those in your life, but you've got to trust me in faith and we don't want to be derailed by these things. Because Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph weren't. Okay, here's the last question. What is so powerful about living and dying in faith as Christians? In other words, claiming God's promises throughout our lives, right up to the point of death. What's so powerful about that? And I'm gonna tell you what's so powerful about that. People who are Christians and live uh, and die in faith leave a great legacy. They leave a legacy. They leave a legacy. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph left an incredible legacy. It, we're talking about them right now. You read Hebrews eleven twenty through 22, their legacy is still alive because they exercise faith in the promises of God. It's still powerful thousands of years later. And I wrote this down here. How long after death will our legacy last? You know, are they, they going to lower Mitch down into the ground? Throw some dirt on the casket, go back to church, eat some potato salad, and that's the end of it, you know? Is that what's going to happen? Or will my legacy, I, Lord willing, our legacy last? If we live daily by faith in the promises of God, we're, we're, we're getting into the word, we're finding out the promises that he gives us. If we're living daily by faith in the promises that the Holy Spirit directly gives us, you know what's gonna happen? We're gonna have a legacy that goes far beyond this life, a lasting testimony to those around us. And we all know people like that. We go, you're still talking about them because of their life of faith. Might be your mom or your dad or, 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 or someone in the church that you grew up in or wherever, or someone here now or maybe passed away here. Actively living by faith in God's promises 
will give us an incredible legacy. Incredible. When we live our lives in faith that God will be true to the promises in his word and through the Holy Spirit, when we constantly live that way from the beginning of our Christian lives until the end, we will leave a powerful legacy. You say a powerful legacy to who? To the people around us. And who am I talking about? To our kids or our grandkids or our fellow believers or our neighbors or our coworkers. We have that example in Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph who lived with their faith boots on all the way to the end. And if we do that, then we'll pass our legacy on to successive generations just like they did. And that's why living by faith is so powerful. It pulls God's promises down into real life and shows them off to other people. And by the way, it's never too late to start. You might be, you know, on the last portion section of your life. And you say, you know, I, man, I, I really biffed it. Well, these, hey, these guys are old too. You know, they're old too. And they kept leaving a legacy all the way until they pulled their last breath in. So don't give up. Just ask God, God, what promises do you want me to claim? Or these are, the, are my needs and you've promised to meet them and trust him by faith that he will and your legacy will blossom no matter what age you are. Well, let me give you some applications and we'll close today. Number one, the way to have a strong faith is to have a worshiping heart. Did you notice that when uh, Jacob passed his blessing on, he was leaning on his staff? Look at here in Genesis 47, really quick. We don't have a lot of time left here. Genesis 47 and verse uh, 28. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. And when the time drew near for Israel to die, Jacob, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me the kindness, kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. And Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Do you want to be a person that lives and dies in faith? Keep worshiping. Man, we had worship music going all through the house this morning. Debbie was in the bathroom, and she had her little worship deal going. And I was in the kitchen, and I had the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir singing this morning in my kitchen, and we were worshiping. And you know, when you worship, worship produces faith. And you want to have a worshiping heart, be like Jacob. Worship. If you want to have a, a faithful heart, worship like Jacob. Okay? And then the second one here. You can be, a second application, you can be weak in your body but strong in your faith. You can be weak in your body and strong in your faith. All three of these people ended up being weak in their bodies, but none were too old to claim God's promise. And so all of you old people out there, I'll let you determine what that is. Hey, 
If you ever, have you ever been my age or older and you have some 30-year-old guy go, man, I, I just feel terrible today. I'm so sore. I feel like I'm so old. But you can be weak in body and strong in faith. And then third, our faith lasts longer than our life. Our faith lasts longer than our life. If you're one of those Christians that are claiming God's promises by faith, you're trusting him to be true to his word by faith and true to the direction of the Holy Spirit by faith, it's gonna last a lot longer than your life because people will notice. And then finally, this final application, you don't have to be perfect to live a powerful life of faith. Thank goodness. Because these guys were anything. Even Joseph was a tattletale, wasn't he? I'm gonna tell my dad about you guys. You don't have to be perfect to live a powerful life of faith. These guys were far from perfect yet they lived and died in faith. So what does God want us to learn from this whole thing this morning here? Well, let me just put it this way. That we can trust his promises no matter what they are, regardless of our circumstances, even when they seem to contradict our timing and that we should be people of faith throughout life for our earthly needs and our heavenly destination until the very end. That's what God wants us to learn today. What promise is God inviting you to claim today out of his scriptures? Now you feel lost? God says, I'll help you. You feel confused? God says, I'll clear, I'll clear that up. You say, I just need guidance in this. God will guide you. I just need wisdom. I don't know what to do. God will show you. I'm so financially in trouble right now. I don't have two nickels to rub together. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He'll provide if you trust him. All of the promises. That's what God wants you to do. Just like Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Trust him. He'll be true to those. That's what God wants to do for you. And then lastly, the greatest promise of all is the promise of salvation. Okay? I never know who's watching. Never know who's here. But I would say this. Like these patriarchs, we're all gonna die. And all that's going to be left is bones, right? But we can have hope of eternity with God in heaven if we truly surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. That is a promise God will never fail to fulfill if we trust him. If we trust Jesus Christ as for salvation and the forgiveness of our sins, he promises to meet that need of salvation. The moment we trust Christ, He'll forgive us and he'll keep us safe and take us to heaven when we die. And I hope you've claimed that promise by faith. Father God, we thank you for these examples of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. They were faithful to the end. They died with their faith boots on. They never stopped. No matter what timing was, no matter what the circumstances were, no matter how many times they wondered if you were gonna be true to your word, they stayed faithful. And you fulfilled your promise to give them the promised land and a great nation and you'll fulfill your promises to us and I don't know what people came in here with what needs they have but you've promised you've promised to fulfill them help us to learn to trust you in faith and you'll fulfill your promises um, in good time for your glory and our blessing and we all said amen God bless you have a great day today Go out in faith with your faith boots on.
and have a great week.